I get really emotional when we talk about this tonight, but I just couldn't teach a life and character class of Jesus without addressing this. Um, I want to turn to 3 Nephi chapter 17. If you'll just let me introduce this with 3 Nephi chapter 17. Now, I, I need to set the stage here. Tell me what's happened in America prior to 3 Nephi 17. I think this is very important to understand the setting. All the wicked were destroyed, right? In fact, maybe a, maybe a quick previous verse. Go back to chapter 10, verse 12. He's speaking to those that survived, and what does he say? Good. No. But I'm just, I love that verse, but I'm trying to set the stage for what I want to say. But section 13 by 10, verse 12, he says, Daisy, do you mind? And it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved. And it was they who received the prophets and stoned them not. And it was they who had not shed the blood of the saints who were spared. So like the second coming, we believe the earth is going to change, right? The, the reason there's destruction associated with the second coming is simply put, the earth is changing. And what kind of people can live on a terrestrial earth? If we currently have a telestial planet filled with celestial, terrestrial, and telestial planets, true or false, can telestial sins be on a telestial planet? And so this, this world is tolerant of all sorts of sins. But when the earth changes into a terrestrial world, what has to happen? The whole point of the millennium, the whole point of missionary work, the whole point of the warning voice is either you change or you can't stay on earth. There can't be celestial people on the earth during the millennium. And as a pattern, that's what happened in America. The suggestion is that the celestial people were killed. We all kind of on the same. That's going to be very important in a minute because I want to make a point. But the celestial people are gone. There are no rapists. There are no kidnappers. There are no child abusers on earth, on, in America after this destruction. Now, 3 Nephi 17, turn there. Jesus announces in verse 1, I've got to go away. I'm going to the lost tribes of Israel. And in this just so tender scene, so typical of how I think I would react and I think how he would react, what do they do at the news that he's leaving? They are in tears. Now, wouldn't you? But they don't dare ask, right? I can just picture it. It's like, you're leaving? And I don't dare ask, but I want to. And he perceives that. So part of his character, verse 6, my bowels are filled with compassion. Can I heal you? He didn't say that in the New Testament, did he? He almost always said, do you have faith to be healed? And now he's like, please let me heal you. Is there anyone that's sick? Is there anyone that's lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or withered or deaf or any that are afflicted in any manner? Bring them hither and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you. My bowels are filled with mercy. And then he asked for what group? In verse 11, he commanded that their little children should be brought. Now, this is one of 
the most haunting moments in the scriptures for me. This moment haunts me, lovingly haunts me. If I had been there, so here's the Savior. And over here is the Dunford family. So there's Bryce and Jen. And Jesus just called for our son. So we send Owen. There's Owen over by Jesus. Ivy, what are you going to name your daughter? Give me, give me a likely name for your daughter. Jessica. Ivy sends little Jessica over there. What were you going to name your son? Malachi, what a great name. Malachi. Give me the name of your daughter. Me? Yep. Madeline. Madeline. How do you spell it? M-A-D-A-L-Y-N-E. Madeline. You get the idea? Son or daughter? Um, probably son, John. John? Sweet and simple. Daisy, what do you name your daughter? Tate, you're kidding. As in Sharon? Okay, not. My daughter is obsessed with Sharon Tate and she wants to name her, her daughter T- Tate. So we've all sent our children to Jesus. Now we're getting our phones out and we're taking a million pictures, right? There's Jesus with Owen. Jesus is holding Owen. And then the moment that haunts me. So they brought their little children and set them down upon the ground round about him. And Jesus stood in the midst and the multitude gave way till they had all been brought unto him. And it came to pass that when they had all been brought, Jesus stood in the midst and he commanded the multitude that they should kneel down upon the ground. And it came to pass that when they had knelt upon the ground, Jesus groaned holding my son Owen, Jesus groaned within himself. Now tell me why. He says, Father, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the people of the house of Israel. Now, I don't know. Maybe I don't see this correctly and you could. Maybe he was saying wickedness in general. But are there any kidnappers that are going to threaten the children he's holding? Are there any child abusers that are going to threaten the children he's holding? They were all destroyed, right? So why is he groaning? Tell me why he's groaning. He's groaning because of us. He's groaning because of Jen and I. And we're trying to be great parents. And I don't think his groaning is a commentary that we're horrible people. I think it's a commentary on these ones. I think he's saying, he's holding my son, Owen. And he's saying, really? Really, Heavenly Father? You couldn't do better than that? Now, I take that as a commentary on how he feels about that little boy. Now, 
My son's eight. Eight-year-olds are tough. Six-year-olds are tough. Two-year-olds are tough. I've raised 10 of them. And they have those moments. They have numerous moments where my children give me so many reasons to be frustrated and angry. And every time I'm having one of those moments, every time I'm tempted to be frustrated with a child, I think of him groaning as he held my son. He's holding my son and he's saying, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the, house of pe- the, the people of the house of Israel. I, I don't take this the wrong way, but I think he's saying, we're not good enough. We're not good enough for them. We're the best God has, but we're not good enough for these precious children. And so he says, send them to me. I think about this moment a lot because it's easy to lose your patience with a child. It's easy to be frustrated with a child. Let me tell you a story about Owen. Oh, could I tell you stories about Owen? Jen and I get a medal for raising Owen. <laughs> He's just been a challenge. But, but he has such a sweetness to him. One day, one Saturday, I was in the backyard uh, staining a door. I had painted a door. I was staining it. And I had left the stain outside. I, I build furniture. And Owen is always my shadow when he's awake. He's always right next to me. Sunday, the next day, it was summertime, so it was warm. And Sunday, the next day, my wife um, and I were, have, we, teach in, we were teaching in alternating weeks. And it was Jen's turn to teach, and I wasn't. And so she had forgotten something. So after sacrament meeting, she said, could you run home and get this? Now, Owen was that not quite ready for primary. Yeah, maybe he should be in nursery, but he doesn't do well in nursery. So I kind of worry and take care of him. And he's not a sunbeam yet. So she said, take Owen. So I went home to get something for my wife and Owen came with me. And while I was gathering the stuff, Owen went out to the backyard. He came in, he's in his Sunday clothes. He came in holding the can of stain in his Sunday clothes. Now tell me what your instinct would be when your child is holding a can of stain in his Sunday clothes. And I'll admit, I kind of, Owen! And as soon as I, he dropped it. He dropped the stain Now we have a wood floor, not carpet, but he dropped the stain. And I will never forget the look on his face. Terror. When he realized he just dropped the stain all over the floor. Terror. And in that moment, I heard Jesus groan. 
And I heard him say, don't you get mad at him. He is a little boy who was trying to help his dad who left the stain outside. He was just trying to help. And it was just a powerful little moment about Jesus and children and where they rank in his heart. And unfortunately, sometimes they don't rank there in our hearts. But it was a powerful message. You take care of this little boy. And for, the, for just that brief moment, I saw him as this sweet. And I instantly, oh, I'm so sorry, Owen. I didn't mean to startle you. I'm not mad. Would you help me clean it up? And I just, it was such a reminder about Jesus and children. And the greatest thing I can do in this life is care for a child. I'm going to bring up a quotation. I want to read it together, so let me put it on the TV. I'll never forget what I felt when I heard this. You know how in conference they say something that's like, did they really say that? And you can't wait for the, the, the conference reports to come out and you go back. Oh my goodness, he did say, I did hear that right. Elder Packer, or President Packer. Now he's, he's President Packer at the time. And he's at the twilight of his life. Um, let me just pull it up here. Uh, what do I call it? There it is. Okay, ready? Don't read too fast. Stay with me. Because I want... I want to fill in the blank. Ready? President Packer, at the end of his life, he's risen to the pinnacle of the church. He's the, pre he's the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He said towards the very end of his life, like my brethren, I have traveled all over the world. Like my brethren, I have held positions of trust in education, in business, in government, and in the church. I have written books and like them have received honors, degrees, certificates, plaques. Such honors come with the territory and are undeserved. Assessing the value of those things, the one thing I treasure more than any of them, all the awards that he's received, all the accolades, all the recognitions, the one thing I treasure more than any of them more than all of them put together, the thing of most value to me is how our sons and daughters and their husbands and wives treat their children. I'll never forget what I felt when he said that. The most important thing to me at the pinnacle of his service in the church, as connected he, as he is to Christ, the thing I value more than anything else 
is how our sons and daughters treat our grandchildren and how they in turn treat their grandchildren. How we feel about and treat children is a defining characteristic of whether or not we are like Christ. How do you please God? Based on all of this, how do you please God? How do you please Heavenly Father? You love a child. You take care of children. How often, as you're reading Come Follow Me, how often in the New Testament does he talk about and use as illustrations children? And he is very quick to say, if anyone harms one of these, remember the language of the New Testament, it would be better that a millstone were wrapped around his neck and he were thrown in the depths of the sea. Tell me how he feels about children. That's such a defining characteristic. How do I treat children? So just a couple modern day scriptures. Just let me give you this fun one. Turn to section 111, 111 verse 1. It's easy to remember. Section 111 verse 1. Now here's a little bit of a story. Section 109 and 110 is the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. Now how expensive was that temple for us to build? Considering our inability to pay for it, how poor we were, and what kind of building we built, how expensive was the Kirtland Temple? Now, Joseph has gone into debt, and it's crushing him. It's crushing him to think about how he's going to pay for the Kirtland Temple. And someone shows up who says that they remember living in Salem, Massachusetts, that there's a house there, and in the basement, there's hidden a whole lot of gold. Now, that's very legit. Back in those days, hiding treasure in your basement, very legit. I'm not trying to question that. What I'm questioning is how many of you think that's how the Lord's going to get the church out of debt? How many of you think that that's a good idea? Oh, I know. Let's go to Salem. Let's find the house that has the gold in it. Let's buy the house, and then we'll use the gold in the basement to get the church. How many of you think that's a good idea, that that's how the Lord's going to get the church out of debt? But section 111, verse 1, tell me the location of section 111. Where is it? Salem. Salem, Massachusetts, which means what? They went. He went. Now, not Joseph's finest hour. Now, here's Heavenly Father looking at a child. And what does he do in verse 1? Brilliant little moment. What does he do in verse 1? You've got to see him looking down at Joseph. Not his finest thinking that this is how the church is going to get out of debt, right? So it's kind of like, oh, Joseph, Joseph. But what does he say? Someone read. Daisy, read verse 1. And I, the Lord your God, am not displeased with your kindness journey, notwithstanding 
<laughs> Notwithstanding your follies. Paraphrase what he's saying. Joseph, Joseph, jo right? Joseph, 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 bless your heart. This was a dumb idea, but bless your heart. I know what you're trying to do. So we have a tendency to see the folly. What was Heavenly Father seeing? He was trying. Illustration. I, my oldest son is now 26 years old. When he was about seven, he broke. I, I'm not an avid golfer. I'm not one of those, but I like to golf occasionally. I live right next to a golf course, and I grew up golfing, and I enjoy it, but nothing major. But I do have a set of golf clubs. They're not my most prized possessions. But I do like to golf. One day, he had my nine iron, was playing with it, and I don't know what happened, but he broke that head off the nine iron. Just snapped it right off. What in the world he was doing, I don't know. But that seven-year-old little boy went into the house and wrapped the golf club with scotch tape <laughs> and put it back in my bag. And I had a tremendous lesson. Do I see the folly? Or do I see a little seven-year-old boy who tried to fix what he broke? If you understand his character and how he feels about children, we need to change how we treat them. If he groaned at the thought of me raising Owen, not because I'm horrible, but because this little boy is so valuable to him. If he groaned, then I think we need to change the way we treat them. You know the story, we won't turn there, but you remember the Parents wanted Jesus to touch their children. And the disciples said, he's too busy. And I think the disciples are so typical of us. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I have a son. I am raising the next Steph Curry. He just, the guy, he's... He's in fifth grade and he just lives for basketball. He, can, he, could, he, he could beat most of us in a three-point shooting contest. Um, just loves the basketball. I have a very hectic schedule. I serve on a board of education. I teach night classes at the Institute. And constantly that little boy is saying, can, can we go play basketball? Can you and I go play basketball? Now, natural tendency in a very busy, crazy, tired world is, I really don't want to, Keegan, I love you, but I really don't want to. And then I hear Jesus groan. I think we need to understand Jesus and children. And it needs to change 
how we treat them. It needs to change the time we spend with them. I don't care if you're tired, Bryce. Go play basketball with your son. And so he groans. I leave you with my testimony. Just a short message today. Just such a simple but profound aspect of his character. I leave you with my testimony. The thing I treasure more than anything else is how my children treat their children. It is my testimony that the greatest thing you can do to please your heavenly Father is to love and care for a child. They are His treasures. When the disciples were arguing who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what a horrible thing to be arguing about. Do you remember what he did? You won't even make it if you're not like a child. I testify Jesus loved children. If we want to go where he is, and be what he is and do what he is. Take time for little children. Take time to be with them and to love them and to see them. Don't see the folly. See them. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.